Let's Get Two presents Go, Go Astros! Go, Go Astros! A focus on H-Town Hardball. And we're back here on Go, Go Astros, and I am coming to you from Michigan. I need, I know Andy down in Texas, it is 30 degrees cooler here, Andy. Than what? 30 degrees? I mean, it's perfectly temperate here right now. <laughs> and the air conditioner was not on in the building when I walked in at 7.15 this morning, so... Well, you, you still are holding up well. Brian, how are you? Because you're also in this time. We're in the same time zone. How fun is this? Yeah, it's, uh, it is uh, less hot here, but uh, I'm traveling to Houston this week, and everyone tells me to get ready for the heat, which I have lost my uh, you know, acclimatization to. Uh, you will feel it. You will feel it as soon as you get on the jetway. I mean, it, yeah. it, it, when they open the cabin door. Yeah. I, I, Jessica and I are finding it harder and harder to navigate it and so we're here we're getting all these alerts that it's 107 in austin and i don't know it's getting tougher we might we might become those people who summer somewhere else but um you know who's still summering in houston it'll be the astros it was a very weird week because it was a 500 week for the team where the last 10 the last 10 games have been 500 um yet they've gained a gain in the standings and are still sitting at at nine over um Brian, overall first impressions, I guess, of just what we did see or didn't see out of the ball team this week. Yeah, uh, I mean, two thoughts here. One, it was particularly over the last two series against the Mariners and the Marlins, not good. Um, I believe in my subject this morning, I described it uh, using a very academic term, which just sucks. Um, you know, but bad weeks happen. And as you kind of point out, right? The rest of the division is not very good. They have a big lead in the division. Um, you know, Texas can't develop a prospect. The Mariners have fallen flat on their face. And the Angels had a story this week that they used Nickelback as a slump buster, which seemed to be the most embarrassing story that the Angels are going to produce until it was revealed last night on the Sunday night broadcast that Joe Madden got a mohawk to fire his team up on the morning, the morning just before the general manager came over to his house to fire him in person. No player saw the Mohawk. <laughs> so the Mohawk got Not ever fired. Uh, and, and I've got a pick a bo- I got a bone to pick with you there, um, Brian. I don't know how you can say the Mariners fell flat on their face. I have it on good authority, and that authority being Twitter, for many of their fans that their entire season was made last Monday night. It was, it was a weird – They, I mean, there and were – May I say posts. to them – Congratulations. They were literally posts that outside of a walk-off home run, that's the most satisfying win I've ever had as a Mariners fan, which just tells you the state of being a Mariners fan. Yeah. And I, I sympathize because there was a long time as an Astros fan where I could go, yeah, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what's funny? That was that that reaction on Twitter was seemed almost universal. Like it seemed like there was this collective exhale in that dumpster fire of a city that is Seattle. It was just so funny to me. Yeah, the whole series was weird. This week has been weird. It's been a crappy week. Yeah. There are going to be crappy weeks in baseball. I don't. I, I know, and I had to leave the Astros Twitter group on Twitter because it's just a, not uh, villainy and evil and whatever it is in Tatooine, but literally just scum of the earth, idiots that propagate that group, that just everybody needs to be DFA'd, everybody needs to be cut, I'm pretty sure if it was up to them, we would have a player. His name would be Jordan Alvarez, and he would have to Bugs Bunny the whole thing. 
And we've seen him run. Yep. Slower and hey, slower every year. You are not out for a shortstop. I'm here for it for one <laughs> inning. For one inning. Uh, I would like to see him do that thing where he plays all nine positions. Um, Andy, let's we'll start with you, then let's jump in. You had wanted to talk about just how important uh, Verlander can be as a stopper. We saw it yesterday. We saw it. Remember the losing streak against the Reds that they, we had a couple years ago? Like, it does seem like he's that guy. Yeah, and that's the – there was a lot of talk last year, and I think it played out that the Astros didn't have a top-of-the-rotation ace starter most of last year. The, our strength was having a lot of two-three guys, and this year we still have a lot of two-three guys. Uh, one has fallen by the wayside. We don't need to pick on him right now, but the big addition was just Verlander coming back and being that ace. And part of being the ace is not necessarily no hitting a team, you know, for five innings, three games in a row. It's coming in and being the stopper when your team absolutely needs a win. Uh, and this was a crappy week. We went two and four since the Royal series against two bad franchises. Um, th these are not we should not have gone two and four against in this six game stretch. It happens in baseball sometimes, but your stopper in your rotation is the guy who it can't go three game losing streak. Can't continue past me. Yeah. We're going to get a win. No matter what it looks like, we're going to get a win. And, and Justin Verlander yesterday was that guy. He's been that guy his entire career, but what he did yesterday, even with the seventh inning where he hit essentially had to get six, five or six outs due to errors and some other weirdness. Um, even though it ended up being a one-run game at that point, the point time that he left, he still did what it took for his team to win and kept them, uh, kept the Mariners, or excuse me, the Marlins down for a good majority of the game. And that's what you have to have. I don't think that we've had that since 2019. It does feel like, and Brian, I'll let you kind of pile on that, but it does feel like um, and, and I, I, first of all, my biggest frustration with fans is being able to tell if, oh, they're not trying hard or they've got no fight. I don't know how you measure that. I don't know if there's a metric for it, but it does kind of seem like Verlander of the active pitchers we have right now is the one guy that's willing to sort of throw his balls on the table and say, this is what we need to do. The other guys seem fun and a little whatever, but I don't know that they have that kind of what's the line in Moneyball? Like when he walks into a room as Dick's been there for two minutes, like that kind of guy, Brian. Yeah, and, and some of that comes from, you know, what? It comes from talent, right? And Justin Verlander is the most talented pitcher on the staff, and he's quickly gotten back to that status, which we worried about after the Tommy John surgery, and he's been exactly what he's always been throughout his career. Um, two, some of that comes with experience, right? What in baseball, you know, Justin Verlander has pitched many times before in a four-game losing streak, and, you know, it's, it's not something that's new or he's going to feel any extra pressure on to himself. He's going to go through his routines, do what he always does. But yeah, I mean, I think two important things here. One is he went seven innings yesterday. He spared the bullpen, which had been, you know, had some, had some uh, poor starts early in the week and had some more innings on it. So that, I think that was important. And of course, as we all know about baseball, momentum is your next day starting pitcher. And when your next day starting pitcher is Justin Verlander, I feel pretty good even in a four game losing streak. Absolutely. Um, one of the other things, one of the other players that uh, people want to DFA uh, is Alex Bregman. Um, and, and look, I, I think it would be disingenuous to say that he hasn't struggled. This year hasn't been what he thought it would be. It hasn't even really been what it started out to be with how he was hitting at first. I mean, right now he, he did go two for four yesterday. He's hitting 225. He keeps working walks. Bagwell made a comment about maybe he's too passive at the plate. 
Um, Brian, let's start with you because you like, are there any, and I hate to do this to you without prepping you, but are there any sort of hidden statistics that we're missing that indicates that maybe this is bad luck and that he'll come out of it? Um, yeah, I mean, his, I saw a tweet this week that looked at his expected numbers in the last three full seasons. And his expected slugging in each of those three seasons, including this season, is about 450. Now, his actual slugging percentage back in 2019 was something like 580. Okay. Because, well, he had a lot of balls into the Crawford boxes. He's never been a huge power guy, but he had 39 home runs that year, which is more than he should have hit. And there's something similar to that this year. On the other hand, the ball's down, so the expected numbers are not quite sort of the same thing. What's good about Alex Bregman is that he continues to make really good decisions. The, the, the Bagwell comment was curious to me because he's taking tons of walks. He's not chasing pitches out of the strike zone. He does swing at pitches that are in the strike zone and makes good contact on those pitches. Those numbers have stayed relatively steady throughout his career. What's really down for Bregman this year has been his power numbers. And that's sort of the most sort of worrisome thing. We saw that last year in the playoffs, in particular in the World Series, where the risks seemed to really, in particular, be, you know, keeping him from making hard contact. That issue has persisted this year, despite the offseason surgery and lots of happy talk from Bregman um, and the media members who like him about how he was, you know, coming back. Andy, would you like to sort of? Yeah, I mean, you can't make an excuse for a 382 slugging percentage this deep into the season. It's just he's not hitting with any kind of power. Um, the games that I watched this week, and I know the big issue Saturday was the double play that he hit into um, that just, I, I think, soured a lot of people who were on the fence, um, which is unfortunate. He's made good contact this week. Um, he's had some bad luck, and I don't know what his bat bip is, and I'm not going to even look it up because it's probably not as good as I want it to be. Um, he continues to get on bases, to Brian's point. He's hit 14 doubles, which is second on our team behind Yuli Gurriel, who's another person we're supposed to cut um, <laughs> right. sometime this week, I think. Um, and he continues to get on base, and for his – much as he's struggling at the plate, getting on base at a 340 clip isn't really bad. Um, I still expect at some point he's going to go on one of his streaks and get hot. I just don't know what that looks like at this point in his career. I think the other thing to we're, we're all kind of glossing over is that despite Bregman saying he's healthy and he's 100% and he's all that, he's not a year removed from a, a wrist surgery. In a wrist surgery, when you are a batter, especially when it's your top hand, it's going to take a minute to come back. Um, and, and maybe he's not 100%. Maybe he feels great, but maybe just everything is not firing the way it needs to fire yet. And, and maybe that's something he gets back to, or maybe this is the beginning of the end. There's plenty of baseball players that, you know, they had a couple of great seasons early and never matched that productivity. I don't think that's him. Um, but we're kind of a wait and see mode and we are financially committed to him. I don't know that we need to be committed to him batting third um, if he's not yeah. driving in runs, but that's, you know, as, as we like to not discuss here, lineup construction, maybe it matters. Maybe it doesn't 2%, I think is the number I've heard. Um, I, I think the shakeup for me, for him, the change would be moving him to six or seventh. But I also know that Dusty really likes his right-left-right-left matchups, so that kind of ties him into some things. Yeah, I think 
like obviously the, the DFA is too much. It does make me wonder though, if, if we would see some of these situations with runners on third with one out or no outs, if maybe the lineup construction was a little bit different, we might see the, the, the double plays bad luck and it, you, you know, Bregman doesn't strike out. So maybe he is the perfect guy, Brian, to be in that spot. Yeah. I mean, but a, 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 you don't hit, I'm sorry, but you don't hit do a double play and Jordan Alvarez comes up with runners on the base, runners on base. Yeah. I, I mean, the double play was horrible in that situation. It was the worst possible outcome. Usually a double play is the worst possible outcome. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's unfortunate because it could have literally, anybody in our lineup who could, could have hit to the double play, it happened to be pregnant. But his issues run deeper than whatever happened Saturday night. Brian. Yeah, if they want to move around the lineup, that's fine. Dusty very much, and this is a broad statement about how Dusty, his lineup is he thinks stability and guys sort of knowing this is where I am and this is, you know, where I'm going to hit. And I don't really have to look at the lineup part. I know where I am. He thinks that's valuable. He's really sort of maintained a very sort of static lineup. And, you know, I think he had a comment yesterday when they asked him about this uh, at his pregame press conference and said something like, hey, I'm trying to do this because I have more confidence in these guys than they have in themselves. Um, so, you know, is that the right way to do it? Never managed a major league baseball club before. So, you know, I'm willing to give Dusty the benefit. But of did you stay in a Holiday Inn Express last night? That's my question. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I think that does make sense. I also think you don't want to show a knee jerk reaction in June. I, I can definitely hear both sides of it. And then frankly, yesterday they got 14 hits. They threw up nine runs. Um, and I thought, I think it was an encouraging sign because I was talking to Andy about this. One of the concerns I have as sluggish as they are is they theoretically have six more should win games. And then about nine toss ups, right? Like I think the series with the Mets is going to be tough and those games, they've got four straight in Yankee stadium. So you don't want to lose ground in the division when you don't have to, because, you know, we are at the point now where standings matter. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, again, they've got a stretch of games coming up where it's two against the Mets, four against the Yankees, two against the Mets. And they have the you know, two teams with the best record in baseball. They get an off day in New York in between. So intrigued to see what shows they go to two on that <laughs> they but, go into kinky boots is that is that what they're doing you know are they going to strange loop it won the tony last night you know maybe uh, we'll see anyway not important to the story here right um yeah but they do have a big lead in the division and even if they have a bad week right it's really hard to see any of the rest of the, you know the other teams in the division need to go on a really long sort of you know tear to be able to get back up to where the astros are and again the Astros are proven capable that they are able to do big winning streaks. They did that to take the division lead. And, you know, I'm confident that they will, you know, continue to play well over the long period, even if they have bad stretches like this. Yeah. Uh, to use a common vernacular, um, our division straight garbage this year it, <laughs> it is. Um, so let's say we went two and six in that little stretch in New York or against New York teams, maybe we lose two games out of that, the way the other four teams are playing. And I'm not, and I'm not really disparaging. I still think the Mariners are probably the biggest, most worrisome team for Houston to keep an eye on. And that I'm not saying much by that, but because um, there are plenty of teams as the NL East has proven 
you can be really crappy into late June and still make a run and make the World Series and win the World Series if you're facing Houston. Uh, so that's still a possibility for everybody in our division. But the way these four other four teams are constructed, I just don't see it. Um, the F- Angels famously fired their manager after losing 14 straight games, won a game, and then immediately lost another game. Oakland just finished a 10-game losing streak. Uh, Texas, for all its bravado and everything that it wants to do, excuse me, Arlington, is still three games under 500. So if they sweep us the next three nights, I'm sorry, two, you're right. That'll put them at five. They are in second place, so congratulations. They are, but the entire American League East is leading all of the wildcard spots, so who cares? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, Uh, I mean, yeah, that's right. So, I mean, it's just – it's that part of the season where we need to put distance in, I don't know that the schedule matches up for that need after this week, but I don't know that it's the worst thing in the world if we don't show up well against the New York teams in a couple of weeks. Yeah, I don't think so either. I just would hate to not show up to Texas, Chicago, and then not show up for the New York Agreed. teams. That would be, I think, problematic. And I honestly don't see that happening. Hey, we, lost, we lost four or six of the Yankees last year. That gets swept under the, the two runs where we're three run Jose Altuve home runs, famous games. Yeah, and a six, didn't play six well run. against the Yankees last year and didn't matter. Yeah, it took a six run comeback in the ninth on one of those games to almost avoid a home sweep, I think. Yeah, that was pretty nutty. Um, looking at Jeremy Pena, um, it was so funny to me because the, there was an article yesterday on Astros.com about how he was really fighting through his first major slump as uh, as a major leaguer. And he, I guess he, he read McTaggart and he's not super happy with McTaggart because he went two for three two RBI. Um, I mean, yeah, he was, he, he and Altuve yesterday were pretty nails. Unhappy with McTaggart. Welcome to Houston, Jeremy. <laughs> now you've, you've been part of McTaggart. the club or lack of one. I, I really am happy with Brian's haircut. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's a style, I guess, a style choice. So on the serious point about Jeremy Pena, he struggled some this week, particularly defensively, and he seems a little more error prone than the, you know, than the average Astros infielder. Um, That being said, he continues to show, you know, the thing I keep looking for at the plate is he's keeping his strikeout rate to a reasonable level. It's still, you know, higher than I'd like it to be. And he doesn't walk a lot, but the one thing I really worried about with Pena offensively is that he'd post a really high strikeout rate that he wouldn't be able to do with major league pitching. And so far he's done pretty well with that. Yeah. I think the other thing with Pena um, in addition to the strikeouts is that young players, especially tend to take their offensive issues out on the field when they play defense. And that's Mm -hmm. really highlighted when you play shortstop because it's the premier defensive position on the field. Right. So despite everybody's best efforts, despite all the good words that you say and all the, Hey, leave it, leave it in the dugout kind of stuff. It's really hard for a young player to go, you know, what? I've struck out 48 times this year and I'm going to really focus on that right now. And Oh, there's a ground ball that went between my legs. Yeah. It happens. And it's a maturity thing. And he's a young guy and you're going to have that during a rookie season. That's why rookie seasons are separated from everybody else's seasons. Um, it's, not it's the opposite it. of what I said about Verlander earlier. He hasn't gone through this. Right. He needs, to learn, he needs to experience it and learn from it. And the only way to do that is to experience it. Yeah. And I think he had a great approach at his at bats yesterday. Uh, he didn't look overmatched. Um, 
and, and really he hasn't looked overmatched at the plate. I think the results are not where he wants them to be. And for a young player, it's very easy to be worried about what happened on that last strikeout on the next ground ball. And you grow from that. Yeah, absolutely. And I do think that um, he does seem like he's at least developing a bit of a shorter memory when it yeah. comes to that stuff. Um, and I guess we'll wrap it up with just how good has Jordan Alvarez been? It seems like he got that, he got that extension and he's hitting like 500 and every ball's dented. Well, do you know how hard it is to add, what is it? 20 points of average in a week in June. I went to film I mean, school. So no, I don't. I mean, know. it's not easy. He was batting 290 when we left Kansas city and he's batting 311 now. That's just, I mean, he is just, he's seeing everything. He is locked in. The outs that he's making are hard hit outs. Um, and he is, he's must-see TV. As much as this team has a must-see TV player, he's that guy. Uh, it's going to be a shame until Aaron Judge gets hit that he's going to get zero recognition from Major League Baseball about the season he's having because they've already given the MVP to Aaron Judge because he's hit home runs and managed to not hurt himself yet. Um, but Jordan Alvarez is that MVP candidate. He is legitimate uh, in the conversation for best player in baseball right now. And um, I, I, you know, I hope it continues, but I, I think he's at that level of he's made his next adjustment and now the league's going to have to see if they can catch up with him. I think it's going to be harder for the league to catch up with him this time. Brian, you're up there. Are you shocked at how, how, uh, I mean, the, Yankee, the Yankees really are doing things that I don't think any of us predicted. I definitely had Toronto. I mean, are you shocked by it? Are you – you I think mean, it's one, a, a function of – What the Yankees have really done is improved their defense. Um, they yeah. followed the model of, a, of another team that's pretty good in baseball, the Houston Astros, which has <laughs> gotten – you know, they've constructed their team through a defensive first, and when they do that – and, of course, they've gotten really good offensive play from Aaron Judge, who – I would have second in my MVP vote now behind Jose Ramirez of the Guardians, but hey, you know, I'm not a media member, so I'm not obligated to say, uh, you know, Judge is the obvious or uh, MVP candidate like Carl Ravage did on the ESPN broadcast last night. But anyway, um, yeah, like it's, they've done really well. The biggest issue for the Yankees is their starting pitching is really thin. It's been excellent what they've gotten. Uh, but if any of their five guys get injured, it's a big drop off to what they have below that and could be an issue for them. You know, keeping those guys healthy until October is going to be one of the bigger challenges for the Yankees moving forward. It's interesting uh, following the few Yankees fans that I follow, um, and especially when you see the things that branch off those conversations. They do not understand the value that Kiner Falefa has brought to their team defensively because he's hitting 267. Yeah. Um, man, well, he said we, we could we could upgrade that position. You really can't. And the last time you tried to do that, you lost a bunch of games because all you were doing is hitting home runs and you couldn't prevent anybody else from scoring. Um, I, you know, I give credit to Cashman for figuring it out. I think he's walked into a little bit of luck. But when you have enough money to spend, luck becomes a little bit easier, I guess. Sure. Uh, Cashman's a good GM, so I'm not disputing that. But uh, it's very interesting that we're very focused on Aaron Judge and the Yankees fans are very focused on Aaron Judge because it's it's that's the star player. But a guy like Connor Falefa, 
who is very unsung because of his offensive numbers, isn't getting enough credit for solidifying that infield defense. And, and honestly, Josh Donaldson, as much as I hate him to an extent, has solidified, um, you know, third base for them as well. Uh, so it, it's interesting um, to see how that's going to play out. I don't think they continue winning it at what a 730 winning clip. I don't, that's not maintainable. They're going to have a slump somewhere in the season, but uh, right now you've got to think the way they're playing, they're the class of, class of the American League at least. Yeah, it definitely feels that way. All right, guys, we'll be back next week. We're going to, and this time I'll be home and Brian will be remote. So then we need to do one where Andy's remote and we'll be all well-rounded. But until then, go Strohs. This was the bad week, but it's over. Here's to a good week. Go Strohs. Viva Jordan. Go Go Astros is a presentation from Twitchy Dolphin Media and part of the Let's Get To Baseball Network.